I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome back to it, everybody. It is your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes with you. And I got to tell you, we got a new look and a new format here. It's it's kind of post, well, I guess post-Super Bowl, right, Mark Lazarus? It's like we finally have some oxygen for hockey in the world, right? Super Bowl is in the rearview mirror. Yeah, we're six weeks away from baseball really meaning anything. This is this is hockey and basketball's window, right? This is, this is, our this is when we get a chance to actually, like, maybe get on sports talk radio in Chicago for 13 seconds before they go back to talking about the NFL draft. Yeah, exactly. But uh, listen, we want to kind of tell our, our listeners here to the athletic hockey show that we've got some uh, kind of a new format, new look to our show here for the stretch drive leading into trade deadline, Stanley cup playoffs and, and all of that. So uh, your Monday edition of the podcast is going to have uh, yours truly Ian Mendes and Mark Lazarus as the co-host here of, uh, Sitting in Mondays and last, it's going to be great because coming up in a, in a few minutes, we're going to have our insiders, Chris Johnston, Pierre Lebrun, on a regular basis every Monday. It's CJ and Lebrun, and as much as I'd love to to, to push it as the Dallas Cowboys hour, we're not going to talk football. Uh, these guys are super plugged in, and as we lead into the trade deadline, this is going to be fun stuff with them because this is the time of year where we lean on the insiders. So. Every Monday, it's Mendez, it's Lazarus. You're going to get some LeBron. You're going to get some Chris Johnston. And you're going to get Jesse Granger. Now, we've always called this segment Granger Things with Jesse Granger. But, Laz, I'm going to give you veto power. If you don't like Granger Things, you can change the segment title. Oh, my God. You can't put me on the spot like that. I, I'll come up with a terrible pun, but you got to give me some time there. Uh, Granger Things works. I mean, you know, season five of Stranger Things got pushed back to next year. So, yeah. you know, it's not the time, the most timely of, uh, of of names for a segment. But, you know, it's set in the 80s. It's eternal. Yeah. So that's what your Monday show is going to look like uh, kind of moving forward here. And we're super excited, Laz and I, to uh, to tackle uh, the Monday pod. Wednesdays, it's the Sean and Sean show. Sean McIndoo, a.k.a. Down Goes Brown. Sean Gentilly. And the two of them are going to be joined on a fairly regular basis uh, by former NHL defenseman Frank Corrado. But, you know, with Gentilly and McIndoo, you just know that this thing is 
you know, they got a unique view of the hockey. World. It'll be off the rails within seven seconds of every podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking forward to to those guys. And then Thursdays uh, on the Athletic Hockey Show, it's what you've been accustomed to. It's the three-headed monster, Haley Salvian, Max Boltman, and the aforementioned Sean Gentilly. So the three of them on Thursdays as always. And then we will sprinkle in a prospect show on select Fridays. And that's with Max Boltman, Corey Pronman, Scott Wheeler, and uh, Chris Peters. So that's kind of how our show is going to go moving forward. We've got a Monday show, got a Wednesday show, got a Thursday show. We'll do some Fridays. And uh, last man, I'm super excited to, to have you on board here. I'm excited too. It's going to be fun, but uh, you know, I'm going to be very careful to deliver any opinions I have respectfully, calmly, and quietly because I don't want you coming at me and cross-checking me in the head. And what a segue that this is. This is hockey. So, this is a gentleman's sport, and we shall not be mean. I'm sitting in the press box Saturday night in Ottawa, and I even tweeted out. I made the mistake of tweeting out midway through the game. I'm like, man, neither team's taking a penalty. This could be the first perfect game in Battle of Ontario history, right? And I'm like, that's really weird. Nobody's ever – and I'm looking up what's the fewest penalty minutes ever, Ottawa, Toronto. And then as time is is expiring, Ridley Gregg slaps a five foot – he's five feet from the crease, and he goes full slap shot, the kind that you – you know, he's scraping the ceiling of the arena with his windup, and he fires it in. And then Morgan Riley comes over and cross-checks him in the face, side of the head. Now, I don't want to go all Zapruder film with these Toronto fans. Like, you know, if you look at this freeze frame, you'll see that the first point of contact was Ridley Gregg's arm. Like, and I'm like, come on. Like, listen, I was there. I talked to the players. I'm curious to get your view on this before I give a little bit of my perspective and being there. I just want to hear from you on the outside, Laz. And I want to hear from our listeners, too. You can always hit us up, the Athletic Hockey Show, at gmail.com. The code oh. and all of this stuff. What what's your read on Ridley Gregg and Morgan Riley? You know, first of all, let's. Like, I, I want to I preface this by saying this is not Dale Hunter and Pierre Turgeon, which 31 years later I'm still mad about because that ruined my childhood. Uh, this is not, you know, he didn't blindside him. Uh, Greg saw him coming. He braced himself a little bit. He knew it was, it was, it, so it wasn't that egregious a hit, but this was, look, I have zero problem, zero problem with what Ridley Greg did. Nothing. He did nothing wrong. In fact, it was awesome. And I wish that we would see more of that. This is what we're always talking about, right? I wish players would have some personality and have some more fun out there. And then they do it. And everyone, you know, you know, clutches their pearls and no, not like that. That's not what I meant. Like this is, he put, an exclamation point on a big win over an arch rival in front of a hot crowd. And he got wood in the face for it. I mean, this is ridiculous. We're talking about the code and it's, it's, I keep seeing the word disrespectful, disrespectful. Was yeah. it disrespectful that Greg did that? Yes, it was disrespectful. But since when is hockey some kind of respectful sport? You've got guys shoving their sweaty gloves in each other's faces uh, after, after every whistle, they're, talking unbelievable amounts of crap to each other and to the referees. You should hear what these guys are actually saying on the ice. It's unbelievable. They're violently attacking guys for delivering clean legal hits. And they celebrate every goal like they won the Stanley Cup. They're fist bumps. They're leaping into the glass. They're doing the Captain Morgan, these big group hugs, the fist bump line. All Ridley Gregg did was take a slap shot. And, and, and now he's like the biggest defender. Like how... 
I don't understand. The, the people that are so mad about this are the same ones that say the league's gone soft. And here we are where you can't handle the tiniest bit of taunting, the tiniest bit of hot dogging, the tiniest bit of, of, of shoving something in your face, and you lose your mind and attack a guy by cross-checking him in the head. This is just the stupidest story. This is the most hockey thing ever, and it's just infuriating to watch. Yeah, and, you know, so I talked to some Ottawa players after the game on, uh, on Saturday night, and uh, it, it, was, it was rather remarkable that people took the Claude Giroux interview that he did on Hockey Night, and they said, you know, Claude Giroux didn't defend Ridley Gregg. Did you notice Claude Giroux didn't defend Ridley Gregg? It was kind of crazy. But I'll tell you, I talked to a couple of players. Josh Norris had the best quote of all. He said, I loved it. I loved what Ridley did. Now, he said, if somebody did that to us, eh, we're not going to like that. But he said what Morgan Riley did was too much. And right. I think you that's You don't have fair. to like it. You yeah. don't have to try to murder someone over it. I mean, exactly. give me a break. Exactly. That's what I think. So I, I look at this and I think, you know, the Battle of Ontario has been one of the most stale rivalries in the last decade and a half. And Ridley Gregg added some spice to it. Uh, in a okay, was it a bit whatever word you want to use? Is a little cheeky? Is a sure whatever? But to suggest like they're acting like he did a windmill celly in front of their bench, like while you know, and, and then did like the, the the DX cross shop in front of them or something. He scored a hockey goal. He, he made sure the puck went in the net. Yeah, and, and I always think about the Patrick Stefan year, like whatever you two thousand seven. Patrick Stefan yep. kind of is very lackadaisical on the on the attempt on an empty net, and it goes back to the way the Oilers tie it. And everybody always said, well, that's why you got to finish hard on every play. And then Ridley Gregg does it. They're like, no, 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 not like that. That's too I, much. Let me, let me ask you this. Is this just a Toronto thing? Like, if this happened in a San Jose-Anaheim game, does anybody care? I think it becomes a talking point on podcasts like ours, but I don't think it becomes this... This mass, and we'll talk to Chris Johnson about this because I know he's he, he's gonna kind of shed some light on on what the Leafs' reaction is. But I think you're right. I think Toronto is the center of the media universe in in the NHL, for better or for worse. And so when something involves them, it's gonna get amplified so much more. But but I think the discourse over the suspension is gonna be fascinating because they've already offered him an in person hearing, which means they have the right to give him six games or more. Not saying that they will, but they have the right to do that. Now, Hunter and Pierre Turgeon, I'm with you. That was a different time, and it was a playoffs, and, and Dale got 21 games, and I think rightfully so. And, and I'm there not was suggesting, injury involved. I mean, he, uh, he, he ended. Pierre Turgeon never played uh, the rest yeah. of that playoffs, and, and the Islanders got bounced in the, in the conference final. And I'm not suggesting Morgan Raleigh. I want to make this very clear. I'm not suggesting, suggesting Morgan Raleigh should get what Dale Hunter got. I'm not suggesting that. I do think you have to give him more than a game or two. I do. Because I think if you just give him one game or two games, I think the message is, okay, you can cross-check a guy in the head when he's quote-unquote defenseless in a non-hockey situation. So you, if you talk me anywhere into the four to six, seven, eight game range, I think that's fair. But I, I don't know how this is going to play out. It, it feels like a roulette wheel. I just like to I like to imagine if it was Morgan Riley who took the slap shot into the empty net and Ridley Gregg who attacked him, 
how different the narrative would be right now. Right oh. now, everyone's up in arms about the fact that it's going to be a suspension that's going to be it's going to be a substantial suspension. You don't get an in-person hearing and then get a one or a two gamer. Like it might not be six or more, but this is going to be more than two. This is going to be a, a significant suspension of a very significant player on a team that's fighting for a playoff spot right now. This is a big deal. Um, and, and the Toronto of it all really does complicate things. But like he, he look, you, there, you cannot argue it's a hockey play because it happened after a whistle. You know, you know, after you know, while uh, you know the horn was blowing or whatever, and the music's playing, like you, you there's no way you can argue. I thought he was still playing. Everybody no. saw what happened, right? This this wasn't like oh, I didn't see it go in. Like this was clearly uh, a, an an after the whistle non hockey play. So if you get a couple of games for chopping a guy in the head during play, you should get a lot more games for doing it after the whistle. This was a clean or a clear violation of every hockey norm. You cannot hit guys in the head. You cannot cross check. You cannot hit a guy when he's celebrating a goal after he scores. Like this violates the, you can tick every box here. The only box that's not ticked is, is I don't believe that Greg was injured. Right. Uh, uh, we'll find out a little bit on Monday. Like he, he got up, he skated off on his own and they didn't practice on Sunday. So yeah, we'll see. But I, I didn't think and he I, was... personally, I, I hate that player safety decides these things based on the result. You right. should be legislating the intent and not the result. I don't like that the injury factor is played into it. Oh, you know, no harm, no foul. He wasn't hurt. That doesn't matter. The intent is what matters here. But that is going to be factored in. So that's what's going to prevent this from being a 10 to 15 game suspension. You know, if, if, if Ridley Gregg is in concussion protocol after this, this is a very different conversation. But Riley's going to get a bunch of games and he's going to deserve a bunch of games. You just can't do that. He had no justification whatsoever. You got a problem with it. You go up and you say something to him. And you maybe get in a little shoving match and you ask him to drop the gloves and then Greg can decide what he wants to do with that. That's sort of what that's hockey protocol, right? What Riley did is not hockey protocol in any way. And anyone who justifies it is just blind loyalty to the Leafs. Ridley Greg is a rookie. And he went right to, can we agree on this? He went right to the Brad Marchand playbook. Like this is something Brad Good. Marchand would do, okay? If that's Brad Marchand doing it to the Leafs, does Morgan Riley respond in the same way? Or does he have, oh, that's Marshan, let him go. Ridley Gregg, I'm going to send a message. You're a kid. You're probably right. They go in yeah. there trying to send a message, you know, oh, send, I'm all, which, is, which is also ridiculous, but that's true. <laughs> that, that, if it's okay that Marshan does it, or, you know, roll your eyes at him when Marshan does it, then it's okay when a kid does it too. It doesn't matter how many years he's been in the league. I hate this, this kind of like unwritten rule, self-policing crap, this nonsense. The kid, this is what we want out of the young players in the league to bring a little personality, a little verve, a little guts, a little, you know, uh, uh, sassiness into the league. Moxie, all those things. This is what we want. We want more guys that are willing to have fun out there, that are willing to twist the knife just a little bit and start a real rivalry. Like you said, this is the Battle of Ontario. This should be a blood feud. And it just hasn't been. And maybe it will be now because Riley Gregg had the balls to take a slap shot. Oh, slap shot. Oh, my God. Oh, I love that. I love the high pitched voice of oh, oh my stars and garters. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> clutching the pearls. So I want to have a fun conversation here, and it will bring the listeners in because you could always hit us up the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. Laz and I are going to come up in the next few minutes with the unequivocal, undisputed list of unwritten hockey rules. Okay, the code, the stuff that they don't put in the in the rule book or the CBA. But as we found out on Saturday, no, 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 it still gets enforced. So clearly, uh, there's a right way to score an empty net goal. 
You know, score it with class, score it with dignity, act like you've been there before, don't wind up. This is a gentleman's game, Ian. It's a gentleman's game. Uh, I also think, I guess, you you can't snow the opposition's goalie, right? Like, that is kind of poor form. Just, like, there's no, I mean, technically a ref could give you unsportsmanlike, right? For I mean, it happens like 10 times a game. It's it's better to snow a goalie than knee him in the head while you're flying towards the net, isn't it? You got to stop. Sometimes you just have to stop. You're you're going for the puck. The goalie's going to get snowed. You know, wah, wah. Uh, unwritten rule in the NHL, and I don't know what the number is. Maybe you have a four-goal lead or a five-goal lead. You can't – if you have a five-goal lead, you can't send your first unit power play out hungry to score another goal, can you? Uh, you certainly can, but the other team will be, again, deeply offended because this is now yeah. the softest sport in the world, yes. Okay, so that's on the list. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, like stealing a base with uh, when you're up like eight runs, you can't yeah. steal a base. It's the same idea, yeah. You can't do it. It's disrespecting the game. Or like, the on the other hand, you could just not fall behind by five goals. Yeah, just a it's like bunting to break up in the winter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that. How um, dare you try to get on base in this professional this game? This is just wrong. Um, you can't touch the conference championship trophy. Seems to be an unwritten rule, right? There's a if lot of win- things. The, the Lightning did. The Penguins did. I, I yeah. we've seen. Uh, I, I feel like it's 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 less of a te- like. I don't know if it's a Western Conference, Eastern Conference, a Campbell Bowl, Wales Bowl thing. But we see about. I feel like fifty percent of the time you got teams doing that now. It, that used to be. I wasn't Eric Lindros that started that superstition back in the day. Or am I imagining that? Uh, I you like might that be right. Wait, well, they won. They won the whatever the Wales Trophy in '97. Yeah, right? and I feel with, like with that was like the first time I remember someone like where it was like, "No, we only touched the Stanley Cup." What happened? They they got swept in the final. They did. So it didn't work out that well for them, did it? <laughs> Darren McCarty turned into like peaks, <laughs> like Dennis Savard from the '80s. It's almost just... like these unwritten rules are really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but is there anything else? Any, am, well, am I missing any unwritten I, rules? Um, when let's see, when you, in warmups, you never shoot a puck into the other side of the ice. Oh, that I, that's that's a good yeah. way to start a a, a massive brawl. pregame yeah. brawl. We've seen that a couple of times. Um, I think uh, uh, if we've learned anything from this Greg Riley thing, it's that before every faceoff, you you doff your cap and you shake the hand and you say, <laughs> "Jolly good show, old chap." Let's have a fair, <laughs> clean fight here. Would, let's make sure we don't hurt anyone's feelings, and let's have a Good old time. I hope everyone has fun. Gentlemanly. This is a respectful it. game. Exactly. Very gentlemanly and respectful in which we throw F-bombs at the referees 300 times a minute. Oh, my God. All right. Hit us up, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Let us know what else belongs on the list of unwritten rules in the sport. Also, let us know what you think of the Greg Riley thing, what, a, what the suspension should look like, uh, you know, that type of thing. Athletic Hockey Show at Gmail. Oh, I got, I got, I got one more unwritten rule. Yes. If in this one, this one, this one works. Like it's silly on its surface, but it works. If you injure uh, an opposing player or take a cheap shot or do something that you have to answer with a fight the next time you see that team, because if you don't answer yes. with a fight, they will just follow you around the ice forever. But once you fight them, it's over. The beef yeah. has been squashed. I always think of Rafi Torres when he uh, almost murdered Marion Hosa in the 2012 yes. playoffs. And then you had the lockout, and the Hawks were in Arizona like a couple of games into the season. And Jamal Mayers fought Rafi Torres in the first period, like on like the third shift of the game, and it was over. 
And then like the whole like attempted murder thing didn't happen anymore because Torres was back from his suspension and that's all it took. So you have to answer the bell if you do something that injures a, another player. And that's that's that weird little self-policing game that hockey plays. Well, it, it's funny, even with the self-policing, sometimes there's an unwritten rule. If you hit a star player, even if it's a clean hit, mm-hmm. you got to be ready to fight right away. Which is really stupid, like extra yes. stupid. Like that's like, here is a good, smart hockey play. How dare you? You must fight me now, good sir. Yeah. I like how you go right into that sort of late 1800s. Well, that's what it feels. This feels like we're talking about like duels and stuff. Like, yeah. you know, you know, Actually, 10 faces 17... dawn at Weehawken or something. It's like, I guess that's more like 1700s, right? The, the oh, duel, yeah, like, you know, like the smack you across era. the face with the gauntlet. With the glove. Say, I challenge yeah. you to a duel, sir. I demand satisfaction. It's just like, this is the grittiest, meanest, nastiest, ugliest sport in so many ways. And everyone is like so offended by every single thing that happens on the ice. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm excited for this because on Mondays now we're going to have our, our insiders with the athletic in Pierre Lebrun and Chris Johnson. And I promise Laz, we're not going to turn this into Dallas Cowboys talk oh, as God. much as the, the three of us would love that. Anything about that. As, as a resident giants fan, I couldn't, I'd, I'd get up and I'd leave right on the first show. I'd just be out of here. How's <laughs> a giants fan been treating you lately? Uh, you know what? I got two Super Bowls as a kid, two Super Bowls as an adult. I'm 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 good. I'm I'm real good. The Giants never make me yes. mad anymore. Certainly wow. two Super Bowls, uh two Super Bowls in the high definition era, unlike our boys. <laughs> we'll we'll let Laz win that one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Black and white when you were watching those Cowboys ones, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, touche. All right. Uh, as much as we'd love to talk NFC East. Uh, yeah. there's a ton of NHL stuff to get to. Uh, CJ, let's start with you. Uh, the story of the weekend, it felt like on the ice, Morgan Riley, Ridley Gregg. What are you hearing about potential fallout there as he's got a, a hearing with Department of Player Safety in person? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be an interesting one. I mean, we, we've all sort of heard the, you know, spin the wheel of justice, you know, not knowing, you know, what, how many games a certain infraction is going to come up for. But, you know, to put it mildly, the Leafs were shocked, stunned, flabbergasted that that this ended up being an in-person hearing, which, you know, doesn't necessarily tell us what the outcome is going to be, but it certainly gives the power to the Department of Player Safety to suspend Morgan Riley for six games or more. And, you know, I think the Leafs were probably thinking it was a one or two game type of suspension. And, you know, it's maybe a tough one to break down because we don't know what the ruling is going to be, but it does tell us something that the Leafs and Morgan Riley have decided on Tuesday to fly down to New York to actually do the the, the the hearing in person you know that's an old saying it's left over from the cba but but you know by and large i think a lot of people with today's technology the way we're having this conversation now do these hearings via zoom but i think that the leafs you know certainly are going in there armed with with what they feel is an argument to to have this suspension be come in much below you know where it seems to be aimed and i think they're more than willing to appeal it to a- any court in the land that that might hear it if if it ends up being something like the six game suspension David Prawn got for a cross check earlier this season, and so you know I I just want to point our attention there because you can't I can't tell you exactly how it's going to play out. Maybe the Department of Player Safety hears something compelling in that hearing, and it, it comes in at a two or three game suspension, and 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 it's a crisis averted. But I do think if it ends up somewhere in the six game region, you're going to see quite a battle waged here between the Leafs and the NHL. So many layers of this, and Ian, you did a great job diving into it, although I enjoyed some of the responses to, <laughs> to you from that piece. But the Battle of Ontario, but on top of all that, uh, number one, Morgan Riley's agent is J.P. Barry, who's a lawyer first and agent second. 
Nebraska. Uh, he will get his backup on all this. I mean, he, he could fight a good fight. And so there's that layer to it. And, and I don't know officially if he's actually allowed to, because again, it's the NHLPA that technically would, would appeal uh, any kind of suspension, but certainly, you know, JP Barry is Morgan Riley's agent. Number two, you got Brendan Shanahan as a president of the lease. Brendan Shanahan set up the modern player safety. So <laughs> it's just, I mean, the people that are players say now most of them are there because of Brendan Janahan. So there's so many, so many permutations to what will play out here. It's it's crazy theater. Not the least of which is if there's one team in the NHL that can't lose their top defenseman, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs who need to go out for at least two before the trade deadline if they want to go deep in the playoffs. Well, that's exactly what I wanted to ask. Like if this were kind of a fringe roster player, if this was a Ryan Reeves type. Are the Leafs going to the mattresses for this, or is this because it's Morgan Riley, a player that they cannot afford to lose for six or more games while they're you know fighting for a playoff mm. spot right now? Well, I th- I think that's part of the argument, though, right? I mean, if you look at Morgan Riley's career, he's he's been in the league I think twelve years now. Anyway, long time. He averages about twenty penalty minutes a, a season. He has no absolutely no history of sort of losing his mind of crossing the line, and so I think that they feel that that should be factored into where he clearly did in this case. I don't I don't think that there's any debate that this was a suspendable act. Uh, and I think that that they're going to argue it was a hockey play, whatever that means. And and that, you know, clearly this is, you know, his intent was not as, as bad as it wound up. And, and you know, I think also Ridley Gregg, as far as I know, there's no injury in this circumstance, which which can play into where these things line up. So I think I think it's all of those factors boiled into one. And and ultimately, look, David Perron was in the same boat. I mean, it. it we might judge the acts differently. You know, the one thing that player safety video highlighted when Perron was suspended six games for cross-checking Artem Zub was how forceful the upward movement was. And, you know, it, it sort of really got into all that. But David Perron at that point in time had never been suspended in his career either. and doesn't have the kind of history like Morgan Riley does. So, you know, I, I don't know how all these factors go in. I, I know the player safety tries. They put out the videos. They explain the rulings. They're trying to be as transparent as they can be. But I have to. You know, be honest, I, I don't sometimes know how they ended up with the rulings they do. It's clear from what we heard. I don't know that everyone in that group at player safety saw the play the same way. They won't admit that publicly. But I, and which, by the way, is good. I want that kind of debate internally in player safety. I don't want everyone to have the same knee-jerk reaction. So that's a good thing. But, you know, you mentioned David Braun, CJ. He also has a lawyer that that will defend his client, Alan Walsh, and some of Walsh's tweets throughout that process because, of course, David Braun appealed to both Gary Bedman and then to the neutral arbitrator and all for naught because the suspension was not changed. You know, I'm curious, Pierre, as we get closer to the trade deadline now, does this, and maybe Riley gets two games, maybe he gets six games, whatever, but does this heighten the need for Toronto to go out and do something on the blue line? You know, you want to say yes because, again, because of the stated need to begin with. But you guys have heard this, all of you from GMs over the years. They hate making trades with a gun to their head, right? GMs hate the leverage play, and and the reality is this is the ultimate anti-leverage play. I mean, of course, the Leafs are desperate. I mean, every game matters. The Leafs are not assured of making the playoffs, and and their blue line needs help, but. Is that a great time to go out and spend assets to try and win the Chris Tanev Derby or or, or Sean Walker or whomever else? And you know, CJ and I debated this offline last week. Um, and I think CJ won me over with his argument, but you know, 
there's a sense of because the Leafs have given up so many assets the last few years being all in, really start to go out and spend that first round pick right now out of desperation. And, and, and CJ made the point, you can pick it up if you want CJ, but you shouldn't sit on your hands given that Austin Matthews is having a magical year and, and you're still a team that wants to win, but maybe there's something more measured you should be doing as opposed to, you know, spend the first round pick, right? CJ, that was, that was your response to me. I just don't think you can be in a position. You, you can't choose which year it's all going to be perfect. Right. And this has actually been as imperfect of a regular season as we've had in Toronto, probably since the year where the, the pandemic hit. I mean, this has been a team that has absolutely walked into the playoffs comfortably the last couple of years. They haven't been, I mean, every team goes through injuries. I mean, there's been ups and downs within those seasons, but it's been much smoother of a ride than this one. Um, and I just think when you have the core you have, when they're signed to the contracts there, I mean, we, we don't need to debate all that again. You, you, you have to do absolutely everything you can to give them a chance to pull it together at the right time and have a, have a playoff run. Um, you know, I, the one thing, and this is hardly a novel thought on my end, but I, I would be trying in Brad True Living's shoes to, to get players that are going to be around for a couple of years if you can. I, I wouldn't be necessarily prioritizing the, the rental players. Um, you know, we've seen Kyle Dubas before True Living do that to some effect. You know, they got Jake Muzzin at a time when he still had two years on a deal. And, and I think that that might be the, the best way to spend the assets. But, you know, sometimes those trades are harder to make than, than just the, the straight rental deals we see at the deadline. What, what's the perception of this trade? I look at, uh, you know, CJ, I look at your trade board and, and, and it's, it's awfully underwhelming. I mean, this is not a lot of sexy names at the top of this. Come on, CJ. <laughs> make the up names? some more names. Come on. The, the names are the names. <laughs> these, I no, I'm not saying it, it's just it's 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 an underwhelming group. These are nice players. These are depth additions in a lot of situations. It's not like a Mark Stone available or someone of that you know super high caliber that's on the table. Are GMs looking at Chris Tanev and Sean Walker and Noah Hannafin as difference makers, or is this just we got to get somebody? Because it, it feels like these guys wouldn't fetch first rounders in other years, but this year they're the top names on the board. Laz, I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't want to spend the time I do compiling that board and tell you not to read it, but but it's it really is not a it it's not a, a list that that's full of sort of eye catching names, headline grabbing potential trades that we can sell. And you're right, you go back the last five years at deadlines, you've had Eric Carlson available. I know he wasn't ultimately moved then. Mark Stone, even last year, Timo Meyer. I mean, that's a player that can change the course of your franchise and and can be a you know someone you, that slots right into your top six. You don't have a lot of that. I mean. Two of the biggest names that moved are Elias Lindholm and Sean Monahan, and, and both were right up at the top of the previous version of the board. I mean, Monahan's probably a third-line center. I know the Jets are going to try him at second-line center here after acquiring him, but, I mean, you're, you're just not there's – the, there's not necessarily the needle movers. And, and you know, the one caveat I'll always put out there is there could be a team, even right now, I mean, we're 25 days from the deadline, that we're not anticipating selling. And, and maybe it gets to the last week and they decide to, to you know – sell some players and those names aren't currently on the board. And maybe we get one or two of those bigger names, but you know, the, the reality is the teams at the bottom of the standings, like the one you covered on a daily basis, last Chicago, Chicago, San Jose, Anaheim, Montreal, those teams have all been selling for years, right? I mean, there was a time when Anaheim was trading Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson. Well, now they're further down their cycle. They don't have necessarily those, those kind of impact players. I mean, Adam Henrique, I think is going to be, you know, in, in pretty decent demand because of what's available supply in this case. But, you know, Montreal has, has traded a lot of good guys over the years. You know, San Jose traded Meyer and Brett Burns. And, you know, so we're just, we, we almost need a refresh of the league, I think. We need some teams that were, that's kind of what Calgary is, I guess, a team that was pretty good and they're now selling off. 
they're pretty good players as they kind of do a reboot. But we we need more of that. I mean, we need Pittsburghs and some of these other teams to to go that direction to I think spice up the board a little bit. Cal- Calgary's won yeah, four and, in a row and, here, and they're only a couple of points out of a playoff spot. Does that change that at all? Is there any way that Calgary decides? You know, screw it. Let's go for it. Is that it, it all feasible? I, I don't think it changes the fact that you know Craig Conroy is pretty in this, and I know in his conversations with other GMs that they can't lose big time UFAs for nothing after what happened with Johnny Goudreau, which is why Lenome was dealt, which is why if Chris Tannen's not signed, Chris Tannen will be dealt, which is why if Noah Hannafin's not signed, they're trying to sign him, um, he'll be dealt too because they they just they feel like they 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 suffered a lot by getting zero assets for Johnny Goudreau. But Craig Connery is also telling other teams, we're not rebuilding. We want to retool quick here on the fly. They want to be competitive in a hurry here on the flip side of this. So that's what they're trying to do, and I know everyone wants to be Winnipeg now. And one of the great miraculous off seasons that the Jets had—it was amazing work. But not everyone can pull that off. The other thing I would say, just to Jay's point about the trade board, I don't get too caught up in the names on that list because every single year there are guys traded that we didn't even know were on the market, and I don't—I freely admit that because those guys are guys that are on under contract, not rentals, that teams aren't shopping but are having very private conversations with a very small, tight group about often Steve Eisenman's in the middle of those things. <laughs> he likes to shock people with some of his trades. Think about Veronic last year and a couple of years ago, the, the Mantha deal. I could see that happening. It, you know, it's what we call hockey trades, not the rental deals. And I, you know, those are two different markets to me, but I absolutely believe we'll see one or two of those before March 8th, where it's something that could happen in June, but just happened to happen before March 8th. Um, you know, what if Anaheim shocks us with the Trevor Zegas trade? Not saying they're going to do that. Don't He's on the board, Pierre. He's on the board. Uh, I know. <laughs> but, you know, or, or uh, you know, I can make the argument for a few guys that you're, you're like, really? Yeah. Because, you know, GMs start thinking ahead sometimes to the offseason and say, well, why don't we get this done now? And so those are the, those are the exciting trades. Uh, you know, Last mentioned, not too many big names on the list, but a guy that's a big name, maybe not necessarily a big producer, Vlad Tarasenko is on there. And uh, I want to ask you, Pierre, about this because you reported last week he switched agents. You suggested maybe Edmonton's a landing spot. Can you update our listeners a little bit on where you see Tarasenko and landing and how that all plays out? Well, I don't think that the Oilers have him as, as near near the top of their wish list, but. I, I do believe that he's on their radar because the Oilers have looked around at all the potential for top six additions for their top six, and and he is on there. But you know, CJ's mentioned this before. I think Jordan Eberle is a guy that the Oilers like a lot. Obviously, let's see what happens with Pittsburgh and Jake Gensel and so on. The, you know, the tough thing for Ottawa with Tarasenko is that the player and his new agent Craig Oster of Newport Sports control the entire process. I mean, he's a, got a full no trade, which means you're not really throwing him out there. To everyone, you're asking the player and his agent where he'd be willing to go to. And so in Edmonton's case, I do believe that that's a place where Tarasenko might wait to go, but probably a couple other places too. The, the issue for Ottawa is how do you maximize return there? Although I will say, like one trade that was really panned a couple of years ago was what a lot of people perceived was Chuck Fletcher's inability at the time to get off Claude Giroux, a pending UFA, and control the process the same way at a full no trade and really just wanted to go to Florida. Uh, which was his right, of course. 
but when Tippett's turned out. So, you know, we're quick to judge these things in the moment, but sometimes you look back at site and realize that was still a pretty good deal. So who knows? Maybe Ottawa gets lucky that way if the prospect's part of it. But I just don't anticipate because of the lack of control Steve Stavos has on the Tarasenko process that it's going to be a bonanza for Ottawa on that deal. In, in your guys' experience, the, 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 uh, when a player changes agents like that, uh, what what does that tend to signify? And I mean, you know, an agent, like you said, he's got a no no move clause, so he's got some control there. But what does an agent really control in a trade market? Is is he out there trying to wheel and deal and make things happen, or is it just an advisory uh, situation? I mean, there's there's different things. I mean, in this case, he was previously with CAA and he's gone to Newport Sports, so those are two of the biggest agencies in the game. So that that you know, sometimes you'll see a player say leave a smaller agent to go to one of those big agencies because they perceive that the agency has the ability maybe to to get something done, whether that's a trade or, or, you know, grease the wheels. Um, you know, obviously in Tarasenko's case too, he's looking forward to his next contract. He's going to be a free agent on July 1st. And so, you know, I, I don't know exactly what went down in this specific circumstance because he's a player that's changed his agent a lot, but you know, those are the types of reasons. And, and, you know, I think ultimately agents, well, maybe not always officially out there with, with the exact permission to, shop their players around. I think agents are obviously having conversations every day with, with people who work for teams and, and maybe back channeling information and those types of things. And so, you know, Tarasenko has some, some big business, whether it's this trade or his next contract to worry about. And, uh, you know, obviously elected to, to switch his representative. Yeah. And I think it's been a frustrating time for Tarasenko and you could agree or disagree with the way that he sees the world. I, I you know, I've not talked to him about this, but he's on his fourth agent in three years. So clearly, you know, things have not, he's not seen in the same light as he once was, right? When he was a big time star in St. Louis. So, you know, signing a one-year deal in Ottawa probably wasn't the number one item on his list when he was heading into July 1st last year. And, I, and, and Ian, I'm not saying that as a, but Tarasenko probably wanted to go to a contender, right? No, I mean, yeah. it's, it's and, and not to mention the fact he only got one year, which is less than ideal. Although some teams or some agents were doing that the dip back in next year when the cap finally goes up. But, you know, I think when someone changes agents that often, it's, it's, it's experiences. It's often because he wants to keep changing agents until he hears what he wants, <laughs> which may or may not be realistic. So we'll see where, how it goes. Hey, listen, guys, this is a great, this is going to be a lot of fun having you both jump in on, on the Monday edition of the podcast. Before I let you go though, I, I'm, this is just the curiosity in me. We're out. So just under a month, right until uh, deadline day, you guys are two of the most plugged-in insiders in the industry. Do you sleep with your phones on? At, like, is the is the the ringer on at night? What like take us through what happens here with the phone for an insider leading up to the deadline? Weekends aren't as comfortable as they are earlier in the season. Put it that way. I don't know why. It seems like a lot of these trades happen on like at weird times. I remember. Last year, I was out to dinner and the Leafs traded for Ryan O'Reilly at like 11 p.m. on yeah. a Friday night. Uh, uh, and so, you know, I, I find that like, you know, during the season, like anyone, you have to unplug. You got to see your friends and family, things like that. And so sometimes you can sneak a Saturday night where you're not thinking about hockey too much. But when we get this close to the deadline, obviously, every game you're wondering, is a player going to be held out? If if all of a sudden someone who isn't on the ice who you think should be, you're checking in on that. And so, I mean, it, it's it's a fun time of year, but, you know. Pierre's got kids, I don't, but I, I'm basically living and breathing this stuff every day until we get through March 8th from, from I, this point on. I have been caught. I have been caught with my daughter. I'm an assistant coach on her on her hockey team. I've been caught once in a while 
staring at my phone in the middle of a line change. I, I operate the board <laughs> door. So it's, uh, I, you, know, you can't be, then to answer your question, Ian, I, no, I, I, I turn my phone off when it's actually time to sleep. Because sleep's important too this time of year. You can't, you know, you can't go 24 seven. That's not realistic, you know, uh, but you try to stay in as plugged in as you can. And, you know, CJ and I are in a group message chat with Darren Dreger because of our work at TSN and, you know, we stay in touch all day and, um, and just try to stay out of it. No question about it. Amazing stuff. Well, listen, like I said, we're super excited to have you dropping by on a regular basis on the Monday pod. Uh, have a great week. We look forward to your coverage on The Athletic uh, and in TSN this week, and, and we'll hit you up again next Monday. Sounds good, right guys. Right on, right on. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so I'm looking forward to having Chris Johnson, Pierre Lebrun on uh, all the time. And, and since this is an audio deal, we should have pointed out Pierre Lebrun. Uh, and if you've seen him on TSN, you've seen this, but he's got the big, giant Hartford Whalers logo in the back. Does it of his bother office. you when the when the Hurricanes wear the Whalers stuff? It bothers me when the Hurricanes. They did it on the weekend, stuff. right? Yeah, they do it a few times a year. I don't like it. It feels like it's you know they stole someone's team, and then they're <sighs> rubbing it in their faces. Like if you're a Hartford person. And you see that? Doesn't that just piss you off? I, so I grew up, last. I grew up a huge Montreal Expos fan. And the Nationals played one game, right, in an Expos jersey. And I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel. And it really hurt. It actually hurt. That's what I'm saying. It did. It, I was like, like they're making oh. money off a team that doesn't, that, that your team that, you, that doesn't exist anymore. Like, you go to a Hurricanes game. I'll be there next week. When you go to PNC Arena. There is Whalers gear everywhere because it's popular because it's a great uniform. It's a great logo. But I don't know. Something about that has always rubbed me the wrong. Even when they did the retro reverse and it was the Whalers, something about that's always bothered me. Like the, the, just the idea of like you're capitalizing on someone else. Like, isn't it bad enough that you took their team? Do you have to twist the knife there? I don't know. And, and take their merch. Uh, did, did the Avalanche do a game where they wore a Nordiques jersey? That was their retro reverse jersey was a Nordiques logo, yeah, yeah. in, yeah, in yeah, Avalanche awesome. colors. And those were the two best retro reverse jerseys other than the Kings Lakers one. They were beautiful, but there's just there's something a little icky about it. I don't know. You know what's weird? Is is anybody pining for the Winnipeg Jets to do a reverse or a uh, a retro Thrashers night? I would that would be that would it would be similarly mean, but like I feel like with the Thrashers, they've just been like washed out of existence. Like they don't exist in like nobody talks about the Thrashers. That was a relatively recent team. Like 12, 13 years ago, the Atlanta Thrashers existed. You know, like Chris Chelios yeah. and Marion Hosa. There's <laughs> Ilya Kovalchuk, obviously. Like I feel like the, the the Thrashers have been like, no, that never happened. We don't talk about the Thrashers. Yeah. Just like a 12 year window where they had a team. Uh 
I want to say that I watched the Super Bowl on Sunday, Laz, with our good friend, Sean McIndoo. Down goes Brown. And the two of us have watched. We went to journalism school together. So we've been watching Super Bowls together since the 90s. Okay. Now, McIndoo's favorite team, if you didn't know, is San Francisco 49ers. So I'm sitting next to him on Sunday night watching him watch his favorite team have a lead in the Super Bowl and let it slip through his fingers. So I'd like to know because I didn't chirp him. I didn't, I didn't mock him. I don't think that's right because it's, it's the Super Bowl. Now, I don't, how, do you, how do you feel? Like, how should I have handled this as a friend when you're there and your team's not playing, but your buddy's team is in the championship game or in a big game? Can you mock them? What happens here? Take me through the protocol. I mean, of course you can mock them. I mean, that's that's what sports fandom is all about, right? I guess like, I should have. Like, like, I don't know, because, well, you know, you're a Cowboys fan, right? For some reason. Yeah. I, I never understand how you Canadians pick your NFL teams. It's the bizarre. It's just absolutely bizarre. Like, like, like Arpin Basu is a diehard Dolphins, Dolphins fan. Like, how does that even happen? Yeah. I don't even know. But uh, I, you can, I mean, the nice thing to do if you're like a nice, good friend, if you're a sensitive person, is you're going to cheer with your friend. But there is something fun when your team's already been eliminated. You want everyone to be as miserable as you are, right? So it's kind of a, it's not, you're not crossing any lines by mocking a buddy whose team has been lost, has has blown a lead in the Super Bowl. There's just different kinds of friendships, you know? Like, are you like a, a, like, are you brothers? If you're brothers, you're going to mock each other. Yes. If you're acquaintances, you're going to support each other. If you're somewhere in between, you can kind of do whatever you want. Yeah. So I, I didn't mock him, but partially because I feel like I'm a Cowboys fan. I don't have license to mock. Yes, it's exactly right. That's, no... that's a self-awareness that most Cowboys fans do not have. So congratulations on that. Yes, but we did get, you know, as but I'm watching overtime of the Super Bowl. And I'm thinking to myself, can you imagine if we ever get a game seven of the Stanley Cup final that goes to overtime? Can you imagine? Like, it's kind of incredible seen... that, that we haven't. Isn't that weird? We've... The percentage of hockey games in the playoffs that go to overtime is pretty high. The fact that we've never, like, I, there's been a lot of game sevens too over the years. It's kind of amazing. We've seen, we've seen the Stanley Cup one in overtime, obviously, you know, from Bobby Nystrom and Uwe Krupp and Patrick Kane, but it, it's kind of incredible that we've never had a game seven go to overtime for the Stanley Cup final. We've had, I mean, you, you look at 2013, I always point to the 17 seconds that, when the Blackhawks beat the Bruins, that was oh. my first year on the beat. That's the Game greatest forward. ending in hockey history because it's it, what we always see in hockey is a loss becomes a tie, which then becomes a win later, right? Like you score the tying goal with five seconds left, and then there's an intermission, yep. and then you score the overtime winner. In that Blackhawks Bruins game, a loss became a win. It was like hitting a three pointer at the buzzer down two. We don't see that in hockey where you go from trailing by a goal to leading by a goal in the final minute of the decisive Stanley cup final game. That's to me, that's the closest we've come to a sudden ending like that. Yeah. And I'm not even sure a game seven overtime can be more dramatic than that, because again, it'll be, it won't be, it'll be a tie going to a win or a loss, not a loss going to a win, but it is kind of incredible that we've never seen with like, imagine how the, the tension in a game one of the first round of the playoffs over time is excruciatingly agonized. Yes. What would it be like for Game 7 of a Stanley Cup Final? I, I think the closest thing that we have, and, and some would argue it was even more pressure, would have been uh, Vancouver Olympics, gold medal game. Canada-USA yeah. went to overtime, and then you get the Crosby Golden Goal. In like Canada, that, no less, which just made it that much more pressure on Team but, Canada. Yeah, but that's 
kind of what it would be like. Holy smokes, the next goal is going to be immortalized. Because we even, you know, who I think doesn't get enough credit? Can we just take a moment to tip our cat to Alec Martinez of you, the you, LA you're, Kings? You're, you're who, killing a story idea I have for a few months from now. Which Give me the, the 10 year anniversary, anniversary of the greatest, of the greatest two series. weeks. He had the greatest two weeks yeah. of any player in the history of the sport. Yeah, I, I, I feel like he doesn't get recognition. Guy scores a game seven conference final uh, winner in to, and arguably the most entertaining, best, highly competitive series, whatever you want to say, of the salary cap era. And then turns around and like 13 days later, he's like, I'm going to end the cup. And nobody, like you were talking about all these great overtime goals, right? You think of Nystrom, you think of, you know, even uh, Uwe Krupp and who else? Brett Hall, obviously. Oh, yeah. I feel like Alec Martinez, he doesn't get his flowers. I've been harping on this. You're you're preaching to the choir. I've been harping on the Martinez thing. And and I was at both those series. So it's kind of steered into my brain. But he had, like, there's never been a player in the history of hockey who's had a better two weeks than Alec Martinez did in the spring of 2014. It's impossible. I don't care how many goals you scored, Con Smythe you won, whatever the money you made, nobody has ever had a better fortnight than Alec Martinez did in the spring of 2014. Man, does he have those pucks? I'd love this to know. Is, I'm, t- I'm telling you, you're just, you're just giving my story idea out to yeah. all of our competitors here, Ian. Exactly. Uh, by the way, our producer, Chris Flannery, has chimed in and said, can you imagine if Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final goes to overtime and then the goal is called back on an offside challenge? Toe in the crease, toe in the crease. <laughs> yeah, they're not doing that. Oh, can you can you imagine? Okay, uh, before we bring our pal Jesse Granger in to wrap up the Monday pod, I'm going to give you a platform here, Laz, because the word dynasty oh, has God, re-entered the lexicon of sport in North America after the Kansas City Chiefs uh, picked up their third Super Bowl in four years. Uh, all the post-game chatter was about a dynasty. Patrick Mahomes, we have a dynasty. I want to know in the hockey world, I mean, Chicago, Tampa, Pittsburgh, all these teams have won some cups, multiple cups. What constitutes a dynasty in sports in the modern era? Do we have one? Is anybody a dynasty? No. No. And Blackhawks fans hate me because I've been making this argument forever. This is the hill I die on. When I was a kid, my dad had the covers of Newsday from all four Islander Stanley Cups in the early 80s. He had them like, you know, framed on the wall. And in my brain, I could see it. I tweeted the picture of it uh, last night because we were having this discussion. When they won their third cup, the Newsday headline was, now they're a dynasty. And there were three Stanley Cups uh, in that headline. And so that's been like, that's that's just, the word dynasty means uh, uh, a ruling power that does not yield power for consecutive years, right? Like the Habsburgs and the Tudors and the Mings, they didn't like say, here, for a year, you can have it, but the then I want Mings. it back next year. Yeah. So three and six, like the Blackhawks, not a dynasty. Three and five, like the uh, Chiefs, not a dynasty. The Oilers in the 1980s, not a dynasty. They won four and five. That is not a dynasty. There's a wor- Words have meaning, Ian. We need to come up with a new word to describe in the cap era. Look, what the Chiefs are doing, what the Blackhawks did, what the Oilers did, what uh, the Lightning did, the Lightning, not a dynasty. They came really close. They went, they won two in a row and then almost got that third. They were in the final. That would have been a dynasty. We need to come up with a new word because dynasty does not mean a really good run or a dominant era, like team of the decade or something. We need, we need to come up with a new term for it. Like 
The last dynasty would have been what the Lakers in the early 2000s, the Bulls before that. So the Patriots never been aren't a dynasty, dynasty in football. The Patriots never. aren't a dynasty because they won three Patriots, and four. No. They were the dominant team in the league for 15, 20 years or whatever, but they are not a dynasty. Words have meaning. But I love how your uh, opinion on this is guided from a newspaper headline from your childhood. Like that's. Well, it's funny too, because like the, the reason I got triggered by this last night was Newsday. I follow the guy who does the back pages, Joe Maniello. He's great. He's, he's like one of the great pun, pun artists of all time. And he tweeted out Newsdays, and, and, and the headline was Dynasty. And I'm like, no, your paper's the one who defined this for me 40 years ago. It's not a dynasty. It's just not. Man, yeah. So we got to think of that. But I would argue that Edmonton winning five cups in seven years. Not like, a dynasty. If that's not a dynasty, then it's I don't not. know what to tell you. Well, we, I, look, I want our listeners to come up with a word for this. We need to come era? up with a term. Era? Like the Oilers era? Yeah, see, that's that's better. That's better. Because they were the dominant team for that era, but they didn't rule the entire era. Whoever is the defending champion is, is your ruler, right? And they did not rule for that entire time. So we need to come up with a new word for this. If you're out there, if you've got a cool word for this, because I've been struggling for years to come up with a word to describe it. I always called the Blackhawks the team of the decade for the 2010. That's one way to put it. But they sucked for the second half of the decade. So that's not really a good word. So I don't. I, we, if you got it, if you have an idea, I'm all ears because I wish I had something to come back at these people with with a good word for it because yeah. they're not dynasties. Have you looked? Have you just punched in dynasty into like an online uh, thesaurus? Like a thesaurus. <laughs> I have not. I'm trying to do it more organically than that. Okay. Well, I'm actually going to do that for you right now. Okay. I'm typing. Well, it's in probably going to come up with other like nonstop consecutive rules because dynasties. This is what I always say. Dynasties do not yield power. That's what makes them a dynasty. Okay, so here we, we got lineage. No, that doesn't work. Bloodline? <laughs> it definitely okay. doesn't work. Succession? Uh, no. No. Because no. typically, typically no, what we're talking not. about is the same core players too, right? It's not like they're, you know, there's very rarely you go from like Lemieux to Yager to Crosby like the Penguins have. Oh, here, here we go. The dominant Chicago regime. The Blackhawks <laughs> regime. I don't know. I don't I because 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 dominance doing all the heavy lifting there. Empire. Ooh. Chicago's Empire. That's not New that, England's that's, Empire. That's a Edmonton's little better. Empire. Empire still kind of connotates ruling, but you could also talk about like a business empire. That's not necessarily the most lucrative business in the world every year, but it's in the four or five hundred or whatever. So that's that's that we're getting closer. I don't think we're there yet, but we're getting closer. Yeah, I think era might be the one. Might be the one. Yeah, I think whoever the dominant team of the era is, like that's their era. I like that. I think like we're clearly in the Chiefs era right now, and that's coming on the heels of clearly what was the Patriots era. So I, I, I could I could go along with that one. I think. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over twenty years, providing a one hundred percent guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, lads, time to bring in our pal Jesse Granger for a little segment we are still going to call Granger Things. Brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with The Athletic. And we're going to peel back the curtains here, though, for the listeners, just so they know that the guy who lives in Vegas the morning after the Super Bowl, we were frantically texting him, calling. He's not awake. He's still sleeping. Jesse Granger, how was Super Bowl weekend in Vegas? It was fun. It was a it was a <laughs> cool week. I did not go to the game, um, but I it was it was a fun game to watch and all the festivities all week have been cool. Um, somebody yes, I think it was you guys actually last week. How crazy a Super Bowl week been? And at that point, it didn't feel any different. The last few days leading in the Super Bowl, it did get a little bit different. It was not just every other uh, Friday, Saturday in Vegas. It was it was it was pretty cool. What one of the craziest things is uh, you're watching the Super Bowl and the, the flyover happens, and then you hear it outside, and it was the weirdest thing ever. I've never been in the city that the Super Bowl was played, and it was just very strange hearing the. The flyover as it happened on TV. Pretty cool. I love when they do a flyover over a dome stadium. That's always my favorite right. thing that NFL does. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was cooler for me than it was for anyone in the stadium, I think. Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, listen, Little known fact, Jesse is actually podcasting right now from the floor of the Bellagio where he had fallen asleep. That's right. Oh, man. Like, look, we're excited to have you on, though, Jesse, on the, on the Monday pod because we love talking goaltending with you. And, you know, I want to just look at the, uh, like, if we were to look at the goalie market here and Jesse Granger was to sort of, you know, look at the odds of who might get moved. And Chris Johnson has his latest trade list out. And guess what? There's a handful of goalies on it. Jacob Markstrom's on there. Marc-Andre Fleury's on there. Jake Allen's on there. John Gibson tucked in at the bottom. I mean, do you, uh, goalies are kind of weird with the trade market. Do you anticipate any of those guys moving? And like, who could actually help who can help a team and, and and what teams might might actually need some help in the crease? Yeah, I mean, I think 
as is the case with like the top forwards and defensemen, it's cap space is the biggest issue because everyone that's a contender basically has no cap space. So you're going to have to find a way to make those work, especially someone like Gibson who makes $6 million. Um, but I still, my gut tells me one of these teams is going to make a move and whether it's New Jersey who clearly needs help goaltending they're I think New Jersey and Carolina are very similar to me. They're both pretty much elite everywhere you look in terms of stats. And then their save percentage and their goaltending has been so bad. It's that's clearly what's letting them down. Um, and then to me, Colorado is the other team that's interesting because I've been saying all year that they needed to when when Francis went out for the season um, before the season was announced started, they, they announced he was going to be out for the year. I thought they need to upgrade their backup because Georgiev's good. But if they're just li- relying on Anunin or, or the other young guys in there, they're going to eventually burn Georgiev out. Well, Georgiev hasn't been playing that well lately. I've gone from thinking the Avs need a veteran backup to maybe the Avs need someone that can challenge Georgiev a little bit. And to me, that sounds like Marc-Andre Fleury because he's a veteran backup who you trust more than Anunin or, or Provo, the young kids that they've got in there. And he can com- he's he's not going to guarantee you're not if if you trade for flurry your give doesn't lose his job but there's some competition and suddenly we've got a guy who's won cups who's played in the playoffs who is not who is who is very used to sharing the net in the playoffs like how many times has flurry been in a situation where there's two goalies fighting for the net in the playoffs he's done it in pittsburgh he's done it in vegas he did it in in minnesota so to me flurry to colorado makes a lot of sense if the wild we're going to we're going to move him and then I think Gibson and Markstrom are are the bigger fish, I guess. And to me, New Jersey and Carolina make sense for those. I doubt they both end up in in those two spots. That just seems like a lot of movement for goalies and a team in Carolina that hasn't really invested a lot into that. Like they, they've proven that they think they can win it without going in and spending a bunch on a goalie. So I don't know. I, I do think that there's good fits for each of them, but I don't expect them all to get traded. What do you think, Ian? Well, I, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, the goalie, like, last, like, the goalie market's so weird. Like, you never feel like yeah. you're getting fair value, right? Like, well, well Fle- Flurry will be interesting just because, yeah, he, he has to decide if he wants to be traded, right? Like, right. You, you know, he, he has full control over that and he's a family guy who doesn't like moving his family around and he's had to do it a bunch now these last few years. Does he want to do it again uh, or is he just content riding it out in Minnesota? He's got a few cups. But he's also a hyper-competitive guy who probably wants another. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. The thing about the goalies, though, is we always talk about goalies getting traded at the deadline. It doesn't really happen all that often. Uh, right. Everyone I talk to always says it's really difficult for a goalie to adapt to a new team in the really short amount of time you have with the deadline being basically a month before the season ends. Why is that, Jesse? Why does a goalie have a tougher time adapting to a team system than maybe uh, a forward or a defenseman might? I well probably just because you're reacting to the play rather than like if you're a forward or your defenseman you kind of you, you're making the play you're controlling the puck it's as a goalie it's just reading things and I think when you go to a new team suddenly like the the difference between a goal and a save is a millisecond and you're not thinking at all when you've played behind a team so long because you're seeing the same type of chances like you've played behind the same defensive scheme you know where the weaknesses in that scheme are you know where okay, if there's going to be a guy open, it's almost always going to be from this angle. And you're just so used to seeing that that you're not even thinking about it. You're always on top of the play. You go to another team, suddenly 
those chances you're used to facing, you're not. They're they're taking away that. They're giving away something else, and you're just a little bit behind the play. And I feel like you you feel like you're chasing the play the whole time, and that usually ends up being the difference. It's not easy. I watched here in Vegas. I watched Robin Leonard come in from Chicago and be phenomenal right off the bat here in Vegas. I do think there are really there there are certain stylistic fits between goalies and teams. Like I think whoever goes into New Jersey is going to have a hard time because that is a run and gun team where yeah. you're going to face high danger chances. I think John Gibson could do it. I think yeah. he's a, an amazing goalie. I think if you put Gibson behind the Devils, everybody in the East should be seriously worried. But there is a chance it doesn't work. I, I could see a path where that takes some time. Whereas Markstrom, to me, he's he's more like a Robin Leonard. He's a positional big. He's always on angle. He makes things look easy. I think a goalie like that behind that Carolina team that gives up the fewest chances, the fewest shots in the league, you put a, a big guy back there that's always in the right spot. The puck just seems to hit him. He doesn't need to make all these acrobatic saves. I don't know. To me, Markstrom in Carolina seems like a perfect fit that would take no time to get used to but i don't know these things are hard to guess so we'll see yeah don't don't you guys feel like carolina every year they're like a perennial 100 point team but you don't quite put them in the colorado boston vegas stratosphere like if they got markstrom or gibson or anybody like heck, jake allen even i'll throw in there if they got anybody in there that you suddenly felt like that's a legit guy that could play the playoffs. Do we put them in that level, in that stratosphere? Or are you yeah, I mean, still they, a little bit not sure about Carolina? Well, it's funny because Carolina, when you look at them, I mean, they're such a well-structured team. They play such a good game. They're so reliable. Yeah. But they've never had a goalie, and they've never really had a, a true sniper up front either. Really, you got guys like Svechnikov and, you know, a Tara Vinen, and, and they've got so many good players. But that's what happened to them in the playoffs the last couple of years is they just couldn't score enough goals. They didn't have the big weapons that carry you through a postseason. If you give them a goalie, they need that just a little bit less. If it's not Freddie Anderson or uh, or, or Auntie Ranta or uh, Kovachkovev, I always get that one. I always mispronounce him. Like they, if you give them like a real stable goalie, they need that sniper just a little bit less because they're not going to find a sniper. You know, Vlad Tarasenko is not going to come in and score at a 50-goal pace all of a sudden the way he's been playing. So the best thing they can do is just shore up that amazing team defense they have just a little bit more and a guy like Markstrom would make them, I think, the team to beat in the East. You know who's another interesting guy that I think would do well in Carolina is uh, Capo Kakadin. He's putting together an, like the most impressive bad season in the history. of like His stats <laughs> right? are not good. His stats are not good. But man, playing behind that San Jose team, he has a Peter Morazic would like a word. Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. Positive <laughs> goals saved above expect. Morazic's doing it in Chicago, too. But P- uh, positive goals saved above expected behind the Sharks team, which is... Uh, the last time I checked a week ago, they're giving up more high danger chances per 60 minutes than any team since natural stat tricks started tracking <laughs> stats. Um, it has been a long time since anyone's been as bad as San Jose and, and Kakanen, he's Finnish. I feel like that fits in with Carolina. Like that's a, they've got all the fins. That's a good spot for him. I think if, if Carolina doesn't want to spend a lot of draft capital and go out and get Markstrom or, or, because that just doesn't feel like the type the type of move that they would make. I think Kakinen would be a cheaper option, a, a more under the radar guy who could play really well behind a good team. He's played well behind a bad team. That that's why I think one of those guys would be a good fit in New Jersey, right? Because they play run and gun, right? Kakinen and the Morazic, right? The, the, there's guys that I sometimes I think like you're a bad team goalie, meaning like you <laughs> you play better when you play in front of a or behind a bad team, right? Like. Just yeah, guys, guys like seeing people. a lot of rubber. Yeah, 
And I kind of look at New Jersey. I think they're, they're a high event team. That would be that might be Gibson. Gibson is so used to playing behind, like he's so used to getting 50 shots against with New Jersey. It'd be nice because it's like, well, I'm still going to get 50 shots, but I can give up four and still win. I'm used to <laughs> usually if I give up one, it's the game's over. <laughs> I know. Hey, listen, uh, we, we got to run real quick, though. Do you guys realize we got a stadium series this weekend? Back to back games at MetLife. Speaking of the Devils, it's Devils Flyers on Saturday. Islanders Rangers on Sunday. Like, is this is this on everyone's radar? I feel like the, the outdoor games, uh, even the Winter Classic now, they're 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 for the local audience. They really are. Like, they're not national events anymore. Like, we've seen enough outdoor games that it's not that they've lost their charm, but a football stadium is a football stadium. A baseball stadium is a baseball stadium. They're for the locals. Like, I'm sure in New York and Jersey and Philly, they're stoked for this. It's a really cool event when it comes to your backyard. But, and I think the TV ratings back this up, the rest of the country doesn't care. Like, these are... Yep. These are for the locals. They're going to make a lot of money for the teams and for the league, and they'll sell a lot of merch. But nobody in Denver is going to really care about an Islanders-Rangers game at MetLife Stadium. I covered just the most recent one, the Winter Classic, and I remember seeing like so much negativity on Twitter. Oh, no, see, nobody cares about this Winter Classic. And like, as someone who was there, I was like, I don't know, man. It seemed awesome. Like it's everyone awesome. There loved I, it. I've covered it, it was six great. Of yeah, of the Blackhawks, so they're cool. Yeah. Right. So what you're saying is 100 percent true. They, in Seattle, everyone loved it. It was great. I didn't run into a person that thought it wasn't the coolest thing ever. I had a blast. And then, like you said, you go on social media, it's like, okay, outside of this bubble, doesn't seem like it's the success that it does inside it. So it, they are what they are. Um, I'm sure the people there are going to have a blast. Yeah. All right. So that's the uh, kind of the big event on the week uh, or on the schedule this week. Stadium Series, MetLife, Devils, Flyers, Rangers, Islanders. Jesse Granger, thanks for dropping by. Uh, the 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 Monday pod. We're looking forward to having you uh, with us uh, on, on a regular basis here. Yeah, can't wait. Uh, yeah, after this- I go cash all my Super Bowl prop bet tickets. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, and last man, this has been a lot of fun. We're looking forward to to hanging out on a, on a regular basis. I feel like this hour and change, whatever, it just flew by here. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be fun. And then you're doing the Monday show is, is extra good because it seems like all the nonsense in the NHL happens over the weekend. Exactly. So there's, there's always going to be something to, to yell and scream and rant about. Yeah, we love it. And uh, we would love to hear from you. Hit us up, The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to the Monday edition of the pod. Leave us a five-star rating and review. You know, we would certainly appreciate that. As I mentioned off the top, your next edition of The Athletic Hockey Show comes up in the middle of the week. It's the Wednesday show. Sean McAdoo, Sean Gentilly. That'll come your way on Wednesday. And right now, I want to remind our listeners, you get a subscription to The Athletic, a one-year subscription for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.